Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. If you haven't noticed, it is absolutely nuts out there in the housing market. If you don't know exactly what you're doing and you don't have someone that you trust by your side to guide you through the process, good luck getting the home you want or getting the best price for the home you're selling. John Hurlbut at Altitude Homes is a guy I've known for years, over a decade, a friend and someone I trust implicitly. If you are in Pierce, South King, or Thurston counties, there is nobody better to help guide you through the real estate process right now. Go on over to altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkablogger. Now, again, that's altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up to contact John. He will help you with the process, and all referrals will result in a $1,000 donation from John and the Altitude Homes team to Ben's Fund. Everybody wins. Go in there, get your help, get your dream home, get the most money for your home. AltitudeHomesTeam.com slash HawkBlogger. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out, no matter how hard it rains. In my city. And welcome to this latest episode, the bi-week episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nemhauser at Hawk Blogger on Twitter, and I'm joined tonight by a rational crew. Uh, there's one <laughs> member clearly missing. Uh, he is somebody who cannot handle whenever something good happens to the Seahawks because it has potentially positive implications for you know the head coach. And so, so you will not see Evan Hill tonight. He's going to take the bye week with the rest of the Seahawks and recover from watching the Seahawks win a game. Uh, but we do have a good crew here, a great crew here, uh, to talk about a bunch of news that's broke today and about the game um, that happened this weekend and about the, the things that are coming up in the next 10 days. So let's bring them in. We'll start with Dana O'Gorman at Dana OG on Twitter. Dana, lots of stuff happening. Uh, people thought it might be a boring, boring day, boring week, but NFL dosed up a lot of news for us today. They did. Interestingly enough, I don't think any of it was good news for the actual NFL. This week was a little crazy. Like they, they had a bad PR week. Let's just put it that way. So we'll see how they recover. Yeah, it was tough. Uh, also, uh, our Canadian brother, Jeff Simmons, at Real Jeff Simmons. How are you doing, dude? I'm good. I'm a little sad Evan's not here tonight because 
just kind of watching him going through these emotional roller coasters like the last day or two has been really fun for me. I, on one hand, I compare him to like watching Carson Wentz play. I don't know if you guys saw the Colts play at all on Sunday. Like it was the most erratic game I've ever seen. And then Evan, like just watching him go through like the Von Miller news and then the Aaron Rodgers news. And it's been really fun for me to watch him. He's, he, he can't handle success and can't handle failure. It's really fun. Nathan, you know a little bit about that with Evan, uh, longest uh, time uh, with with our, our our fearless bearded bearded boy. Um, how are you doing? Uh, this is uh, at Nathan E11 on Twitter. What's going on, man? I'm doing good. Uh, <clears throat> had a nice relaxing Sunday. Uh, Seahawks were uh, awesome pals about that uh and thankfully none of the craziness that has gone on this week so far has touched the seahawks so uh yeah doing good yeah well it's good to hear it's good to see all of you and i think there's a bunch of places we could get started we will definitely spend some time talking about the game this weekend we weren't able to have a post game show for a variety of reasons but definitely want to spend a little time talking about one of the only good games the seahawks have played so far this year but I, I think we got to start with the Russell news. Um, I think to me, that was, that was a big deal. Uh, Russell for folks that have not been paying attention, got the pin removed from his finger. And uh, according to, I think it's pro football doc. I can't remember his, his handle, but um, you know, his, his prediction on Russell's return, even well before this was a timeline that had him back for the Packers game. And he, when he saw the information or saw the video of, of Russell's, you know, I think it was a, not a video, but a, an image of Russell's finger reiterated that he thinks that's the timeline to expect him back. And, um, you know, I've been personally really vocal about that. I think it would be a huge, huge, huge mistake for the team to rush, rush Russell back. But if it's the appropriate timeline, I mean, the sooner the better, like for sure. So, uh, Nathan, I mean, where are you? Like, what are, what are your thoughts hearing about what's going on with Russell? Is there a part of you that's that's feeling like they should take it their time with him? Um, or are you like basically just hoping he's ready for the Packers game? Yeah, I'm hoping he's ready for the Packers game. I don't know what the uh, like the long term like risk is here with getting him back on the field. And, and so my, my one thing is, and I don't know if this is remotely correct. So if there's a, a doctor in the house that can correct me on this, please do. But my understanding is that the recovery process from here is a little up in the air with how his finger responds and how he gets control over it again, and whether he maybe even has feeling in it for a little while. Mm -hmm. So like I'm still I'm still being a little cautious and trying not to get my hopes up that he's back for the Packers game but assuming he's right and everything is good and the doctors clear him and he can hold a football and grip it and do all that stuff grip it and rip it uh then I have no concerns about getting him right back out for the Packers game I love the the concept of him getting control of his finger again like I, I just picture his <laughs> finger like moving in all directions uh <laughs> i don't think it gets a mind of its own necessarily it's not possessed but proprioception i think is what it's called when you're when you learn to use bot your body again after injuries it's a it's a real thing 
Dana, uh, what what's your take on what we're seeing so far on the Wilson front? Well, uh, like Nathan said, that the biggest thing was then how his finger would respond, the muscles, how well they would bend, that sort of thing. And it was very encouraging to me and to a lot of the other people. I, I follow this um, woman named Doc Flynn. Um, she's fantastic. She's an um, orthopedic sports medicine doc out of Boston. She's a fantastic follow also, um, as I'm sure your other doc is too. But she, um, she, I sent her a little message about it and I said, you know, what does this look like? And she, that video that Russ put out today with him gripping the ball, the fact that his hand could already bend around it and have a, some sort of a grip. Now we don't know how strong, obviously that grip is, um, was encouraging because I guess that's the biggest part of it is getting all that flexibility back in that finger, but also the stability. So you saw that he was wearing a glove today. I would think that that will stay for a while, even if he does come back for Green Bay. Um, and so I, that was really encouraging to me, but really what it comes down to is Russ, right? Like we know how damn determined he is. You're right. There's, he truly believes there's nothing on the planet that can stop him. And I think it's that determination that probably will bump him over the edge to play in Green Bay um, with or without Aaron Rodgers, which I know we're going to talk about later. But I think that, that he, he'll want to do that. And now he has a good chunk of time to do it. Yeah, Jeff, I, there's kind of a pair of, of news stories related to quarterback play for that game. Uh, that came out way early. Uh, one of them is related to Russ. And I think part of the news, obviously, the biggest part of the news is that the pin came out, that he's throwing already. All that's ahead of schedule, um, at least from some accounts. Also, I think noteworthy that he was throwing with a glove. Um, Russ, for people that don't know, Russ has historically been really reluctant to use a glove. Pete Carroll, for people that know, Pete uh, always throws with a glove and you know has, has mentioned in interviews before that there's been some question like why Russ doesn't, you know, why doesn't Pete get Russ to use a glove, especially in the wet weather? Cause he hasn't been that great, great of a wet weather quarterback. And Pete said that Russ has been pretty adamant that he's not wanting to wear a glove. So I think that's interesting. I, I'm curious if maybe his he'll change his tune on that front, especially going into green Bay, it might be a, it might be a bad weather game. So um, could be interesting. And maybe this will be some new, you know, bonus thing that we get out of, of, uh, of this, you know, unfortunate situation, but the other piece of news and feel free to talk about the rust stuff as well. But the other piece of news that came out today related to quarterback play in that game was Aaron Rodgers going on 10 day quarantine because he was unvaccinated and has been tested positive for COVID. So he, I think, you know, maybe Jeff, if you want to fill in some of the blanks about, uh, if you don't have my can, but about what he, whether he was vaccinated or not, and what kind of went on there, and then what that means uh, relative to the Seahawks game, as much as we know right now. Yeah, so the, the whole saga today was really interesting, because he came out this morning pretty early that he wasn't going to play this week. And I think Dana was the first person to kind of have her instincts come up on this, but Usually when someone tests positive and they're vaccinated, they have the chance of coming back if they have two negative tests within 48 hours of testing positive and they have a chance to play during the week. But instantly he was ruled out. So this meant, and obviously Dana was the one pointing this out this morning, this meant he wasn't vaccinated because he wouldn't have been ruled out otherwise. And I found it a little peculiar, the league insiders, the guys who are paid by the NFL were the ones who reported that this morning. So 
that came out, which means he's not vaccinated, which was really interesting because he was asked about this in training camp and everyone's probably seen that clip today, but he said he was immunized. Is that the right word for it? Yeah. And that's a very misleading. And then again, the NFL network came out with the story that he tried to push back from, he had a very specific training that he thought would give him the antibodies and work instead of a vaccine and the league pushed back and they had talks with doctors. So as a result, he is not vaccinated, which means he's out for 10 days. So he's out for this week. And the earliest he can come back is the Saturday before the Seahawks game. So, which means he can't practice all of next week. And this is assuming he's not still positive at this point because he's not vaccinated. He has to test negative and that's the earliest he can come back. So we don't know if he's going to be able to play that game. The earliest he can come back and join the facility and play with and like practice. And they, they don't have practice on Saturdays. They might have a walkthrough is the day before the game. So it's really up in the air if he'll be back for that second game, which is the Seahawks game next week. Yeah. So, so the, the story that, that, you know, it had many layers to it. Right. So he has COVID, which is probably the least portion, like least discussed part of the story. COVID's different for everybody. So the assumption is he's just going to roll by and be fine. You don't know, like, uh, it may be a while before he's recovered from COVID. So that's just one piece. Yeah, Cam Newton last year, I don't know if you guys remember this, he got he was playing really, really well at the end of the year. He got COVID and he said he wasn't himself for six, seven weeks after. And you can see it in his performance. Yeah, you just don't know. I mean, it, yeah. there's no way to predict. And then he had gotten some kind of homeopathic treatment and but also kind of implied that he had been vaccinated, but really wasn't it sounds like the nfl knew the whole time and uh you know judged him to be unvaccinated by their standards and it it's unclear whether or not he was honest with the team or i don't know there's some questions about whether he was forthright and following protocols properly and dana i think you looked into some of this but uh you know even if if they find that he violated some aspect of the rules here, uh, you know, do we know if there's any potential for suspension in, in addition to this quarantine time? So I did look it up and it there doesn't seem to be a suspension aspect to the punishment of this. Now, I think that that would change if he knowingly lied to people or lied to the team, but that's at least not the story that's being thrown out there. Nathan called that out first thing today. He's like, oh, watch the backpedaling. That's going to happen here real quick to cover Aaron Rodgers' ass. And that's exactly what happened. Um, but it looks like from what I read, it's just fines. You can be fined for not following protocol. And there's a lot of reporters who were mad. They were the local beat reporters. And they're like, he has never worn a mask. Well, then someone said, well, technically, if you look at the letter of the law, there is no requirement for masking in a press conference. But the weird thing is, is Green Bay had had their other non-vaccinated players because they have a handful do all of their meetings or all of their press conferences via Zoom, except Aaron Rodgers. And so that's what's making people take a pause a little bit. It's like, well, why was there one set of rules for him and not for the next? Which makes people wonder if he did tell the truth to the team. We don't know. Um but they're saying he did. So that's it. There's other people who said, oh, they've seen him on a smaller plane. So he wasn't on the plane. He always wore a mask. None of us believe it. 
I mean, at least I don't believe it. I, people I've read, they don't buy it. They just know that they're just trying to cover it so that he doesn't get any trouble. Um, but this is going to be something that the NFL is going to have to either, they're going to have to pick a side on this because they've had one set of rules for some players. But if Aaron Rodgers gets to skirt those rules, that's going to be a huge problem. Nathan, what were your thoughts on this on this story when you heard it and what you've you've learned since? Uh, I mean, I was initially surprised, I guess, because, yeah, I mean, he came out in that press conference and said he was immunized and then um, apparently not. And so pretty, pretty surprising that he would, I mean, he would just lie about it like that. I, I don't know. I mean, hopefully he's okay. Like you said, you know, Cam Newton, Jason Tatum, there's a handful of athletes that I think there's a bill offensive lineman that um, said it really kicked their ass. So, you know, hopefully first and foremost, he's okay, but um. I don't know. For me, it's just, it seems pretty clear that he was really at best skirting some rules here. Um, and is he's, I don't know, he's just going to get away scot-free with it. Uh, and so that's a little frustrating, but whatever, hopefully he's okay. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's just <laughs> not just for me, but my reaction is, this just fits his persona to a T. That was going to be my point. I mean, it's just like, I'm better than everybody else. I know better than doctors what's going to actually help me. I'm going to do some like homeopath. I shouldn't be so dismissive, but you know, you know, he's just so, he's so arrogant and he just thinks he's so much smarter than everybody else. And I think he seems to only care about himself. Like the fact that he was in those press conferences unmasked um, and it, it's super irresponsible um, regardless of how you feel about all this stuff. If like, there is no doubt that, that this thing is transmitted, um, you know, by droplets and by people um, being unmasked. So it's just, um, it's just a dick move. And, uh, I mean, it further, I don't think he's a, I don't think he's particularly popular in green Bay among fans as much anymore. A lot of them, uh, turned on him pretty fast in that first game. I think the only thing that's kept this marriage working is that he's so good and that they win. Otherwise I think he and green Bay are really bad, bad marriage. Um, and when it goes wrong, it's going to go really, really exactly. well. There was a great tweet today. I was just looking for it and I can't find it, but it was by one of the national media, like level media guys. And I, I can't find it now or else I would um, give them credit for it. But it said, basically he saw what happened. He feels like Aaron Rodgers saw the criticism online for not being vaccinated oh, I saw that and I was so afraid of being criticized. He decided that to lie instead. That I yeah. saw that tweet. Yeah. And it's like, that's exactly his personality. He cannot handle criticism at all. Yeah. And it was like, so you'd rather lie. So now he's what the lying quarterback, like no one's going to believe anything that comes out of his mouth now. It's, it's funny. Cause I I've always struggled to like come up with words or reasons why Aaron Rodgers objectively is an incredible football player, but for whatever reason, he's been my, one of my least favorite athletes, probably the last 10 or 20 years. I've never been able to put my finger on why. And I think today sort of just crystallized everything. I think he's just, I think he's a coward. I think when things go wrong, and this is what bothered me about him probably before today, when things go wrong, he never seems to take responsibility. He's always wanted to point the finger. 
and he's played, you've heard relationships about his teammates, but this story just crystallized everything where he's putting himself before the team. You, you, we all know the health implications of this. And then there, there's people in the media trying to cover up for him that he's scared. Like I know Carson Wentz came out and Kirk Cousins and th- their responses were pretty, pretty hard to comprehend because they were just so far from what reality but at least you can like in some twisted level respect that they're owning it. He's just hiding from it. This is, he's lying. He's putting us the media risk. He's putting teammates at risk. He was at this Halloween party. I think that's where he must've got COVID. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't know how he got COVID, but I just think he's a bit of a coward and he's a bit of a fraud. And I think he's like Brian said, he's a bit of a, he's a shitty, arrogant guy. And, he always talks about like he plays for like the Jacksonville Jaguars and he's always like the sky is falling. Everything's going wrong. Like they've had like the best pass protecting offensive line in the league the last few years. They have Devontae Adams. I just don't like the guy. And like objectively, he's a great player. I can't take that away from him. But I think everything Brian said is so accurate. Well, here's the other thing. He's going to play. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. everybody should expect he will play in that game. I think there is a better chance of Aaron Rodgers playing in that game than of Russell Wilson playing in that game. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, that's, that's true. I don't know. It all I depends think there's on a better chance. <laughs> if he's there symptomatic is. at all, he has to be asymptomatic for a certain number of days. Mm-hmm. And so if he is symptomatic at all into next week, I don't know that they'll let him play on Sunday. Maybe yeah. they can it send dep- it's, That's all that it comes down to is if he's symptomatic or not. And then he does have to test negative. Maybe they can send the results to that same lab that held Gerald Everett's results. And well, <laughs> be handy. even yeah. if, even if uh, Russell plays, I still think it seems highly likely. Like, so in case it wasn't clear, he cannot come back till the Saturday before. I think you said that Jeff. So the day before the game would only be eligible. He would not practice all next week. I don't think that matters with a guy like Aaron Rodgers that's been in the system for as long as he has. He'll he'll get the game plan. He'll know what they're doing. And I think he'd play well. So I think anyone that's holding out hope that this means he's not going to play or he's going to be really bad in that game, I think that's hopeful at best. So, you know, it is a story to watch. We won't know till the very, you know, probably a few minutes leading up to the whole thing, but um, it is going to be it is going to be fascinating to see what happens there. There are some other people. Um, excuse me. Sorry, as I hit my mic. Um, there are some other people that may be back as well, not just Russell. So, a name that we haven't talked about for weeks is D. Eskridge. Um, this is a guy that Pete's talked about coming back multiple times, so he might be just totally off again. But Nathan, <laughs> we saw what we saw of him when we saw him was pretty cool. Uh, looked exciting. Um, Pete said last week before the Jacksonville game that D was back with them. That he'd seen a concussion specialist in Florida. That I can't remember if it was a, a vision thing. He, he said he was having some issue with it. And so they checked him out and that he would be back after the bye. That was my what I heard. Did you guys hear the same thing? Yes. So let's assume for a second that Eskridge is back. Um, what What's your expectation of how he'd be used in that game? Yeah. So, so the one thing to say, so yeah, he's expected to be back for the buy or after the buy. So he, they're planning for him to play against green Bay, but he still has to get through like two weeks of practice and all that. 
So he's not a sure thing yet, but um, I think, yeah, that that's where he's at right now. I think he makes potentially a huge difference. Um, Seattle is uh, one of the bottom five teams in terms of use of motion. Um, <clears throat> and we've seen them try to still do like into rounds and other things. And it's worked kind of with Everett. There's been some boom and bust there a little bit. Um, you know, Freddie Swain hasn't given a lot there, but it's clearly something that they want to do. It's part of their playbook. He can clearly do it, you know, very well. Um, <clears throat> he's got two full weeks to, you know, get back in shape and knock off any rust that he might have. Um, so potentially he's a big, a big weapon here. Is he going to get a ton of touches? Probably not, but you know, um, he presents a threat and gives a defense that's something that they have to plan for and respect. Um, and that can really change a game. And so, you know, I said, I don't remember if it was the Pittsburgh game or the Saints game, but, you know, you said that if they had Creed Humphrey, they win that game. Uh, I think if they had um, Deed, I think they, there's good chance that they win both of those games or either of those games because they were close enough and he is, I mean, we're, I, I'm going on a limb here because it's only been like a half of football that we saw of him, but he looked different. Um, and so I think you can really be a big boon to this team. Jeff, do you think, so I actually agree. I think, I think he, he has the potential to be a difference maker for this team. Um, it's a big projection based off a very small sample. So I think, you know, we have to acknowledge that, but with the injury he had, which was a concussion, and this is as bad of a concussion aftermath as I've seen in, in a while. Um, do they still use him on end rounds? like on jet sweeps is there going to be reluctance to put him in harm's way that way or you know what's your thought on on how it might affect how they utilize him if they're not going to do that they probably shouldn't be playing him if they're not feeling comfortable getting him the ball at what that's his best strength getting the ball and getting horizontal and well what nathan said was just so true when he was getting like those end arounds he looked like he was shot out of a cannon and we saw him in the last preseason game and we saw him in the first game he just looked like Nathan said different than everyone. And we've seen Gerald Everett bid okay on some of those plays, but we've seen Freddie Swain in short horizontal routes, and that's clearly not his strength. So if you're going to play the guy, set him up to succeed. I don't think you can, if you're going to play him, you can really hold back. I don't think that does the team any good. I don't think that does D any good because he's going to need some confidence. He's going to need to get his rhythm going. So I don't think that you're going to have him run like deep crossers and I think you're going to use them the way you're intending to use them or else you're sort of hurting both you and the team. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that there's a potential that we've all pigeonholed him a little bit as the jet sweep guy. And I know we're not saying that here, Yeah, but I think we saw that he actually looks like a really good receiver as well. Just a straight receiver, regardless of whether he's running jet sweeps. And I think he could be significantly, upgraded over the guys that they've been running out there. Dana, when I look at the the targets distribution so far for the Seahawks um, receivers, it's 56 targets for DK, 58 for Tyler. So those are the, the two, you know, basically identical. Um, then it goes down to Freddie Swain at 24. So mm -hmm. less than half um, the targets. One... Any hesitance, uh, hesitation on your side 
to give all of Freddie Swain's snaps to D. Eskridge. So that's one. And two, do you think he gets more or less percentage of the targets than what Freddie was getting as the, the number three guy? Hmm. I, I think that's a tough question because, because things started finally clicking with DK and Tyler in that last game. So they might want to continue just to push that and use the other wide receivers more as a decoy. And that's really, I mean, even if he just gets on the field and pulls one more player off a of DK, awesome, right? Like that's, that's a great job for him to have. Um, but I think that I don't want to disrespect Freddie Swain because he's actually done better than I thought he would this year. So I, I've been, I don't want to say impressed, but I've been pleasantly surprised from Freddie Swain a little bit. Um, but if D, D is their first round pick, even though he's not, but if he's their first pick, I think you have to give him the opportunity to make an impact. And so that has to come out of Freddie Swain's. It can't really, it, maybe even more, maybe take some from Tyler, some from DK, because you have to see what you have, right? Like you have a huge contract coming up with DK and we know they're going to pay him. They just extended Tyler. So what do you have with this kid? You need to be able to see that so that then you can thin the herd otherwise. So I would hope that they would use him more than they're using Freddie. Um, but, but yeah, I think that he's an automatic, I hate to say replacement because again, Freddie's doing well, um, an automatic kind of replacement for Freddie at that point. Yeah. I, I'm Freddie's playing to me as a four, a fourth receiver and he, he is but he's done okay like he hasn't fine. been terrible right yeah he's fine i thought he'd be terrible so I'm, I'm a little yeah, I, I don't think he's terrible but he i don't see a lot of upside to freddie swain sure. um you know I, I think he could just be a solid player uh like we've seen from other guys like malik turner and and that kind of thing um but yeah d eskridge i think could be different um so the other news was around Chris Carson potentially coming back, or at least Pete Carroll said that Chris Carson was going to try to practice this week. And that was coming on the heels of some more ominous updates that maybe he would never be back. And so Jeff, do you have any feel for, you know, what expectations are for Chris Carson? And similar to my question with Dana, if he is back, you know, how would you expect him and Alex Collins to kind of split reps? Well, I still have a skeptical view of the whole thing. Neck injuries are really tricky. and Especially for a running back. Especially if, yeah. We saw, like, it's, it's obviously different than what happened with Cliff and with Cam. But those that, it's neck injuries, I can't really predict what's going to happen. He takes one in the wrong hit. That could be it for a season. And so I'm still skeptical. I'm in the wait and see camp. I don't know if he'll play. Pete's gone completely one week it sounded like he wasn't going to play the rest of the year. The next week he's like, Oh, he's going to practice next week and he might play. So I tend not to believe anything Pete says with injuries anymore. The stuff with Alex Collins has been really weird in terms of like, Oh, he's totally healthy. He's going to practice today. It's like, Oh, he's got a groin injury on the injury report. So, but one thing I do want to see regardless of Carson is I'd like to see them. If they're going to, I'd like them to see them feature Alex Collins more. It seems like they're just really trying to get Penny going and it's not really working out. And seems like they're just trying to justify him the last couple games. If they're going to – if Carson's not ready, I'd rather just not see as much Penny as we've seen. I think that we've seen all that we need to, and I think he should just be insurance at this point. <laughs> I think I think they were hoping – they probably wouldn't admit it. I think they were hoping that he would have at least one big game uh, prior to the trade deadline and that somebody would be like, hey, 
Uh, one big run would have been nice. Right. I mean, like, <laughs> as many teams that needed a running back or lost player, like, and this is a former first-round pick, and I bet they didn't get a single call. It was obviously They've gotten one call, but it was like immediately after he was drafted, according to John. Uh, wasn't there a story were, also? That's, that's like, John's favorite. Wasn't there a story also like two, like two or three years ago that like someone offered them like a third round pick at the deadline and they turned it down? Wasn't there, there was even more than that, right? Wasn't it, it was like, like a second? Yeah, it was like at the deadline, like, oh, we're not trading this guy. And then he got like hurt like three games later. We, we have video. No, that's Earl Thomas that you're thinking of. Maybe. No, there was some petty story. There was <laughs> no, there was. There was. I think it was like the Lions or something. Uh, we have video of me on this show by Penny's second year saying I was ready to give him up for like a fourth round pick. <laughs> I, I, and we're like, what? I'm like, yeah. I mean, like, I mean there was video was, on. Oh, go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> no, I was going to say his last name is ominous of his value in the NFL. Yeah. So. There were people on draft night saying he should have been a third or fourth round pick. Yeah. There were people on draft night saying LJ Collier should have been a third or fourth round draft pick. Oh, Imagine God. if his last name was if it was Rashad Crypto. I mean, we'd be in a totally different place right now than we are. Um, oh my God, that, that Collier story was so bad. The worst PR attempt I've ever seen. What? You guys see that Jeremy Fowler thing? I think Mike Michael Sean fell for this. He was what? he said like the Seahawks actually see a lot of value in Collier despite being a healthy scratch person. It was the worst PR attempt I've ever seen. This means no one wanted to even talk about him. And yeah. people fell for that. They're like, how can you see value? They don't got, I'm like, they don't see any freaking value in this guy. Yeah. So, I mean, from a trade deadline standpoint, I, I think it's worth just recapping a couple things there. Right. So the Seahawks made no moves. Um, and I think we all were, had our fingers crossed that maybe they could sucker somebody into giving them a conditional pick for Collier or Penny or, or someone like that. They got nothing, but they also gave up nothing. Uh, meanwhile, our, our uh, division rivals, the, the Los Angeles Rams, went and gave up a second and a third round pick for Von Miller. So he is going to be opposite of Leonard Floyd on the same line as Aaron Donald. And that's a Easily the biggest move uh, made uh, at the deadline. Other moves that were made, I think, aren't as huge. I mean, we saw Melvin Ingram go to the Chiefs. I think we saw the Houston Texans defensive lineman we had talked about, I think, on our show um, go to um, San Francisco. San Francisco, right? Uh, for, for a six-round pick or a late, mm -hmm. late pick, something like that. So um, not a lot of big moves there uh but let's also mention some of the guys that got let go so uh deshaun jackson got waived by the rams which i have to say kind of surprised me i mean he he made plays when he was given opportunity this year and he clearly wants to get a bigger portion of the targets than he was getting down there and so i'll honestly i'll give the rams some credit you know, they, they did, they did right by the player and let him go, hopefully find a place where he can get what he's looking for. They didn't have to do that. And it could potentially go to a team that they're competing with. So um, that happened. Did OBJ officially get released mm -hmm. yet? No, he didn't. So the story there is that um, it is, it is strongly rumored that he may get let go because, you know, for a variety of reasons, 
Um, and so there might be two veteran receivers of varying levels of quality, um, but still uh, of, of value on the waiver wire. And the Seahawks, I think, are 10th on the waiver claim list. Yeah. Um, so let's let's start there for a second. Dana, do you want the Seahawks to put in a waiver claim? Let's say that OBJ gets um, put on the, the waivers. Do you want the Seahawks to put in a waiver claim on either one of those guys? Um, I think if D cannot play by the Green Bay game, I would hope, or it doesn't look like he's trending to be able to play. Um, I think, yes. I think that they need to just say, okay, kid, we're going to kind of, kind of like what they did with Taylor last year. We're going to make sure you're healthy. We'll use you, but we need this space filled. Um, I would much prefer Jackson over OBJ. I can't wrap my head around Odell Beckham Jr. and Jamal Adams on the same team. Those egos would be so big. No one else could fit in the meeting rooms. Like it'd be weird. Right. So I, and I think that there's just a lot, I can't decide if Odell would go to a new team and just kill it because he's so pissed at the Browns or if he would be Odell Beckham Jr. that just kind of sits and pouts. And so I can't quite decide. Um, I know that as of right now, he's having no contact with his coaching staff or anyone. So it's ugly there. Um, but it also sounds a little familiar about what happened in New York. So I'm, I'm, I would prefer Jackson over the two. I think he's, I think he's a hard worker. I, I like Deshaun Jackson a lot. Nathan, I mean, do you think Deshaun Jackson might be tempted to come to Seattle because he knows he'll always be open during practice, at least like Jamal Adams <laughs> still out there for him. That would be nice. I don't think either of these guys want to come here because they're both mad about targets. And <laughs> yes. uh, That's fair. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, I'd, I'd love to see Odell Beckham come here. He's, very good still i think um but i think you'd end up very quickly in the same place that the browns are in so yeah that's my concern jeff um like deshaun jackson i think is a great fit for seattle deep threat russ is the best deep ball thrower in the game i was interested in him during the free agency we talked about him and i think he'd just be perfect but i think what he wants is if he's leaving the rams who are winning and have a good quarterback and a good passing game. And he's made some big plays. It means that he wants to be either the number one or number two receiver on a team. That seems like what it here would be my pushback. He doesn't get a choice when what he wants, he's going to waivers. Unless his contract is. But, but don't like agents and he have some ability. I mean, he just, yeah, but if the Seahawks the claim team. him, they get him yeah. and no one else does. Like they got Josh Gordon in this kind of situation. This is how they got him. And they were a lot lower on the list. Yeah. I mean, if either of these guys have to go on waivers then Seattle absolutely has a shot to get them. Yeah, um, yeah. But the question is, are you just going to pick up somebody who's not going to be pissy the whole time? And how much does that even matter? Right. I mean, maybe you do it and you bring in Odell Beckham and he's a baby about it and that's a problem. Or maybe it's who cares. I mean, maybe he stops having contact with Pete Carroll and you don't even really have him. Like who knows. Right. And the other thing with Odell, like this is much less of a concern with Deshaun Jackson, but when you pick up a player off of waivers, you pick up the contract. So, and, and Beckham's isn't small. So I really have a hard time thinking that they, unless they're really confident about how they can use him. Um, I don't think that they'll pick up OBJ and it's possible. He just goes through waivers completely. Yeah, I'd say OBJ is far more likely to go through waivers than Jackson. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I would, I would love to see the Seahawks add more receiving talent. I think that DS Gridge has been a gamble this whole time. I mean, we, this is a conversation we had heading into this season. I had real questions and concerns about why they didn't have a veteran third receiver on this roster that you'd have some reliability or some, some projection you could make about. There's a lot riding on DS Gridge, and that has not panned out through half the season. Now, if he comes back and he stays back, great. But I, I think this team with just DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett is going to continue to struggle. They have not figured out how to get the tight ends involved. Um, you know, Gerald Everett has 17 targets. Bill Disley has 12 targets. Like, it's like a target a game, basically. That's not even a catch a game. That's a target a game. So, I don't know. I, I think it's they haven't to this point had enough targets to even go to a, a third receiver. And I think that's why D. Eskridge, if he can be healthy, is, is a good fit there. But yeah, I still would prefer to have a third guy that is better than Freddie Swain and has a potential to take coverage away from a DK Metcalf and a Tyler Lockett. I, I still think that's important for this offense one way or another. Brian. Yes. Deshaun Jackson or Golden Tate. Oh, I'd be fine with either. Really? I mean, yeah. Golden's not playing this year. No, it does not. He wants that... to. <laughs> yeah, so do I. Either. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't appear that Golden's playing. I mean, Adrian Peterson didn't think he was playing either, uh, Jeff. But, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, with all that we know, I'd actually probably prefer Golden because I think he would take the role. Um, and Deshaun Jackson seems like he's in it for him more than he's in it for the team because otherwise, why would you leave a team that's <laughs> a leading Super Bowl contender? Um, I think it's dangerous adding people like that onto a team, if you know you're three and five and are trying to build back. So um, yeah, that would be, that would probably be my preference. What about you? Oh, Deshaun Jackson, because he'd bring all that Rams information along with him. Mm. How'd that work out with Shane Waldron? Well, I I will tell you, I've already told you guys my feelings on Shane Waldron right now. I'm not his biggest fan. In fact, I'm not even on, you know, anywhere near a fan. So, um, it's, it's true. But at the same time, I think, plus he's been playing golden hasn't been playing he might be in a little bit better shape, that sort of thing. But um, I mean, golden would be fine, but I just, I always have a weird feeling about getting the band back together. I just don't ever think it really works well, except for Sherman. I will always have that caveat, but <laughs> otherwise it's, so it's not necessarily my favorite thing. There's the other thing too. We've seen that Russell and, um, Odell Beckham Jr. are also friends. And so I didn't know if that would have any bearing on it at all either, to be honest with you. But yeah. yeah, I think the Von Miller addition to the Rams is a bigger deal than the Deshaun Jackson subtraction for the Rams. Oh, well, yeah. For sure. yeah. <laughs> That's not saying very yeah. much. For sure. But let me tell you, the Rams are screwed in two years. I'm just going to keep saying that. Yeah, I mean, the, the Rams are all in this year. And um Typically, I mean, I don't really love the idea of, of, you know, mortgaging a lot of things, cap space and otherwise for trades. Um, you know, I don't think it always works out very well, especially it's definitely a short term strategy for roster building. But you can't look at the Rams and say that their move for Ramsey and Stafford and what might be Miller 
aren't working out are you know potentially gonna work out really well for them um not everything's worked out well i mean they gave up a decent amount for sandy michelle and i don't think he's been very good but um yeah i mean the rams are (laughs) rams have a particular particularly good uh team this year Uh, i think the von miller move actually makes them a lot better um than they were so is there any is there any team that you guys see that is better than the Rams right now in the NFC? Tampa I Bay. Said, I think Tampa. Yeah. I yeah, I ignoring last Sunday, I think Tampa Bay is better. Um they're more complete anyway. Um we've seen the Rams have weird moments and you don't see you usually get really nice games out of Tampa Bay, so. Yeah. So I, I'm really high on Dallas too. Yeah, Dallas really does pretty good. I think the playoffs in the NFC are going to be really interesting. I think any of those four teams could win. And I think that we really haven't had that. We just completely ignore the Cardinals. (laughs) I don't believe the Cardinals. I I, I still don't. Yeah, I still don't. Yeah. So let's talk about the game against Jacksonville. Um, We didn't get to do a post-game show. Um, I wasn't able to watch it live, but I did watch it on replay. And um, I thought it was their most complete game since the first week of the season. And it, uh, the thing that always drives me a little nuts with these types of situations is you can have a really good team or a really bad team. And when you play a bad team, it, it's just like caveated to like ad nauseum. Like you can beat them by 50 and it's like, well, yeah, but that was the Jaguars. Well, it's still tough to beat somebody by 50. Like you did what you're supposed to do. Like, that's a good thing. We've seen the Seahawks completely shit the bed against bad teams, like a lot. Uh, So a team that basically shut out the opponent for almost the entire game seemed to get the most pass pressure they've had since the first week of this season. Um, Got, the quarterback play that I think we were looking for from Geno Smith this whole time was like, is he capable of doing anything well? And he did like, I've seen people like diminish his game a little bit. Oh, it came in as a Jack. Those were good throws. Like he made some really good throws in that game, touch passes to Tyler. It just felt like a different game. Yes. The Jags are dumpster fire. They're trash. No doubt about it but I thought the Seahawks ignored that and played a good game. Um, And and Jeff, I'm kind of curious. Like what what were your thoughts on the game? Well, yeah, I think you have to open with the caveat, just maybe not like the Jags have some talent. I think they're one of the worst coach teams I've ever, I think Nathan brought it up that urban Myers, one of the worst NFL coaches we've probably seen in a long, I think they're one of this Nick Saban. Yeah, Nick Saban had some couple winning year. Like there's Jim Tom Sula in San Francisco following Harbaugh. And there's been some really bad ones I can't think of off the top of my head, but they're really poorly. They were like double 12 men in the field penalties. And Urban Meyer like took off his headset for like a full quarter. I didn't want to talk to anyone. But anyway, I think the most interesting thing I saw was that the, I think the offense learned from the last two games. I don't know if this was Shane Waldron. I don't know if this was Pete watching the film. I was really frustrated coming out of that Saints game because of how stubborn I thought they played. And I thought in this game, they gave Gino and the offense a chance to succeed. And that's what I found so infuriating about those last two games. I thought they were running into boxes. They weren't going like DK had that touchdown and then didn't get the ball for 40 minutes. Tyler Lockett was invisible. This game, 
they ran the offense through their two best players. And I think we saw just a more comfortable, a more smooth, a more repeatable offense. And Gino did play well. Like his completion percentage above expectation was really high this week. And he made some really good throws. He had one, but I don't, I don't know how repeatable that was. I'm not getting excited about Gino. I think we know what Gino is, but I thought just the way the offense looks structurally was really good and really important. Hopefully they they learn from that terrible Saints game because I hated their game plan in the Saints game. I didn't think they'd win. I just found it so frustrating. So to see them just go through DK and open up Lockett again, to me, that was really encouraging. And I thought on the alternatively, I think the cornerback group isn't that bad. I think Trey Brown's made a big difference to them. Reed moving over to the other side. I know I want to see them against real opponents. I'm still a little wait and see, but I think since they removed Trey Flowers, they've been like, I don't think they're good at corner, but I think they're fine there. And that's a huge difference for was one of the worst position groups in the NFL in the first four or five games. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's well said. Uh, Nathan, what, what did you think about the game on Sunday? Yeah. I mean, so good teams blow out bad teams. Like you said, I mean, th- that's all you can really ask a team to do against a team like the Jaguars. So you're right. Like it doesn't make sense to caveat it and be like, Oh, but it was a bad team. Like, yeah, it's the NFL. This, those are the teams that you do that to, right. Or uh, you should do that to. And so they did what they were supposed to do. And that's good. The offense looked clean. Gino looked good. You know, I predicted them to lose. So there's egg on my face for that. Um, we, I think we all talked about uh, uh, Gino not really getting Tyler Lockett involved or, uh and he he did that um so there's a lot of positives for the team to to look at um all that said I do think this is one of the worst teams I've ever seen and it's because Urban Meyer is one of the worst coaches in the NFL I've ever seen um he's Bobby Petrino levels of bad um you know if you go through a lot of the really terrible coaches like the the especially terrible coaches in the NFL um you can just kind of tell they're not putting the work in. Um, Urban's not putting the work in. Bobby Petrino didn't put the work in. Steve Spurrier didn't put the work in. Um, Tom Sula's kind of a tragic figure on this because I think that did that dude probably did work his ass off. He just wasn't, you know, he, he was in over his head. Um, he got Peter Principal like four times and it was a disaster. But um, yeah, I mean, Urban is checked out and like it's just visible from like, watching the sidelines when the whole team is huddled up and trying to like you know get amped up and get back out on the field and he is standing like three feet behind the the group and just looking dead (laughs) dead inside looking like he'd rather be anywhere but there um and yeah i mean it's a team that that plays like he looks so um i don't take a lot out of the game outside of you know they took advantage of a bad team, which is all you can ask them to do. Yeah, I mean, I think Urban Meyer, it's it's kind of surprising that they haven't fired him already. Yeah. Um, I think that'll be the, the least surprising uh, news break when it happens. But yeah, I don't know. I, I thought um, I thought Gino did play well. I thought the offensive line did a decent job at the beginning. I think they were pretty bad toward the end. I thought Ethan Posick, Ethan Bozik was what I thought, you know, like I would bet without knowing for sure, I would bet he was making more appropriate line calls ahead than Kyle Fuller was. Um, Pete seemed to mention, a, you know, infer that a little bit, who knows. 
Um, sometimes it's like when you've got mediocre talent on the line or maybe even average, above average, just making the right call can be a difference between a well run play and not. So you can't underestimate how important it is to make the right line call, but he still is a turnstile. Like Dewan Smoot made him look foolish multiple times. Um, <laughs> Aaron Donald will do much, much, much worse uh, and has in the past. So yeah, I, I am not a big Ethan Posick guy. Um, I don't think I ever will be, but he might be an improvement over Kyle Fuller as, as much as I'm not a fan. Um, and then I, I thought this was one of DK's better games. His numbers weren't huge, but he had like, he even made mention of it. There have been a remarkably few moments where the team has thrown it up to him in the end zone, in the red zone and given him a chance to make the play. He made it. Like that was a great catch, uh, a great play. I thought he caught the ball with his hands in this game. Um, well, he's been a guy that I feel like has really questionable hands. Thought they were pretty reliable in this game. So um, I thought the receivers he and Tyler played really well. Uh, otherwise, on defense, um, it was just nice to see pressure one way or another. Like you could say against Jags, man, they played all sorts of bad offensive lines and they have not been able to create any pressure whatsoever. But I think I, I think I retweeted something like nine guys had at least two pressures on defense. Like um, they had 30 pressures overall, which those are most of the season. That's good. That's good. And I agree wholeheartedly, Jeff. I thought DJ Reed and, even Sidney Jones, who does not get a lot of love on this this pod, I thought Sidney Jones played well coming in for Reed, and it does sound like Reed will be back, um, right? He had a groin injury, Dana, and, and it sounded like an MRI was negative or something along those lines. Is that what, what you heard? Yeah. I, well, what I read was that they expect him to play after the bye, so okay. I think he'll be all right. So, yeah, I mean, okay, that aside um, – was there anything that did anyone like walk away from this game feeling different about the Seahawks than they did before? I, I think so. I, I think I, I said this in our group chat after the game and, and I meant it that it, it was very smooth. And that is what we said. The offense was very smooth after the first game. Remember, we're like, oh, this Waldron, the offense, it's smooth. Like it runs really, really pretty. Um, I felt like we saw that a little bit again, even with Gino this last week, like they could get in a rhythm. Obviously we understand our competition. It was not, you know, great, but they, they just felt it had a nice rhythm to it. It had a nice feel to it. I thought that, that, that we hadn't seen that since that first game was that kind of nice smoothness to the offense. I was really impressed with the defense. I mean, they held that team to zero points for 58 minutes. That's pretty amazing. I think that's great. They, you could tell they were getting a little tired at the end, you know, but um, I, I was not as worked up about not getting the shout out as everyone else. I, I swear, Seahawks Twitter sometimes just baffles me. I'm like, you guys are mad about a garbage time touchdown. Okay, whatever. But the shutout would have been cool. I get it. I get it. But it doesn't really matter. But um, but I like that we, you know, Diggs, I think that this was his game to finally get the recognition that he's been playing pretty well all season. I think we saw Carlos Dunlap more than we have seen him. Um, and I know that people are very anti Jamal Adams right now, but even he played really well in this game. So I, I was really impressed with the defense on the side too. Yeah, Jeff, uh, would you believe the Seahawks are 11th in the NFL in 
points allowed on defense? <laughs> no, it's and I felt the first three or four games just felt like every player was running free wide open. So they have played better defense. The last two games have been really solid. 13, what was it? Less than 10 points combined the last two games average. Yeah. I mean, even if you include the Rams game, they're fifth in the NFL um, over the last four, four games. Um, <laughs> That's a little surprising. And even that Rams game where they gave up all those points in the second half, um, I mean, three of them were at the end after Gino's interception, but uh, that was the second lowest points the Rams have scored all year uh, was against the Seahawks. So I don't know. I, I think the defense, I don't think the defense is great, but I think the defense has been disciplined. They've been sound. Um, and to your point, they haven't been so miserable in the secondary that anybody who wants to get yards is getting Oprah out there. Like you get yards, you get like everybody was open against this defense. And that seems to have been corrected. Whether they can like hold up to a really good quarterback, I think is yeah. to be seen. Um, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, we're, we're likely going to get two weeks in a row. Um, we'll see what goes on with Kyler Murray, who's got an ankle, but now they're talking, it said one to three weeks. It sounds like he might even play this weekend. So, um, you know, we'll see what goes on there. I'll I'm having a hard that. time with all this defense talk because like on the one hand, I'm going a little insane because people, all the, Oh, you know, they, they only allowed so many points in the last few games. And it's like, did we just completely forget about the second half of last season where it was like, Oh, you know, they really shut down Colt McCoy and uh, uh, Dwayne Haskins. And uh, I mean, but then the other part of it is, all those bozos that were trying to tell me I didn't know how to evaluate cornerback play with Trey Flowers and suddenly that dude's gone and the defense doesn't give up many points anymore. And boy, isn't that just a big old coincidence? Look, I mean, I think both things can totally be true. I, I, um, and it is always about you, Nathan. Like It is. Really clear. But no, I mean, you can have one cornerback who is a disaster and that's enough to just make your I mean they will pick on you you see when a new guy comes in they just throw at you repeatedly and if you're weak they will keep going at you so they don't have to be great but they just can't be awful and Trey Flowers is pretty awful so well not only that a bad a bad cornerback pulls all the rest of your state your secondary out of alignment because they're covering for him all the time so it makes you wonder it's like everyone's like where the hell digs why is jamal has not playing good well they're covering his ass that's what they're doing and so that switch lets them play their positions a little better yeah were you disagreeing no i'll just say uh yeah jamal adams has had many coverage issues for his own for his own issues but I, I was the biggest Trey Flowers hater probably going maybe. So I, I'm not surprised. And you remember that Super Bowl with Nick Foles, they, where Nick Foles beat the, uh, the Patriots. Uh, Ma- Malcolm Butler mysteriously didn't play in that Super Bowl. And having that one-week link, that was actually the year we got Justin Coleman from them. And uh, having that one-week link basically opened their entire defense. But I think my big takeaway from this game, and I'm not quite there yet, but if you're one of the people hoping like the Seahawks have this playoff push in them, and this doesn't have much to do with this. seeing them play clean was obviously really nice, but the rest of the NFC after that top four or five and the saints are looking like the, that seven seed looks pretty open. The Vikings lost to Cooper rush and Danielle Hunter's out for the season. 
Carolina's quarterback got concussed. I don't know if any of you saw the Falcons play. They look awful without Calvin Ridley. Uh, San Francisco is looking a little better, but they don't have a quarterback. Philadelphia is pretty bad. The Giants lost again. Seattle a favorite for the seven? Like, I don't know if Minnesota will win another game. I looked at their schedule. If you're in that camp, there's an opening there. You can win eight or nine games and potentially get in the playoffs this year in that seven season. I don't think you can really say much about the Seahawks playoffs until the next two games are played. Like, I know. I'm just most, saying. The most likely situation is they're going to lose both of those games. That's the most likely. And then you're, you're talking about a three and seven team. Like, I'm, I'm not there. I'm just saying if you are there, this is the hope, I think, for you right now because Russell's coming back and the defense is looking functional. I don't think they're good yet. Yeah, and I think, like I said, the most likely – if I had to guess right now, I think the Seahawks win one of those two games. Well, especially the way, I mean, the Rodgers thing could, could yeah. very much throw that. And I, I know you, I know you think he's Rodgers. basically guaranteed, but. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think we can say that. I'm not as confident. I mean, I, I do think that the NFL is probably, I, I don't think there's going to be any kind of repercussions for whatever rule breaking has happened to date. Um, but I would be surprised if the NFL messed around with like test results or something like that at this point. So, but I mean, you know, the playoff picture for this team hasn't changed really since, you know, I mean, in a little while coming out of the Rams game, they needed to, you know, take at least one of the, uh, Pittsburgh and saints games to give them a, a really good shot. Right. Yeah. Then you only have to beat one of the good teams that they play the rest of the way. Um, they've dropped them both. So now they have to win two of those games. And one of those games maybe isn't going to be a hard game at all, depending on the quarterback situation. So, um, yeah. <laughs> all right. We should go to patron questions. I, I am curious, like, how things would change if the Seahawks won both of the next two games. I don't know if anyone's asking that question. If they beat two seven and one teams, um, which I guess their the record's going to be different by then, um, that would be fascinating. Um, there's so, hope again. There's there's hope glimmering. I I you know I've been very consistent. I just I'm saw like, life in Brian's eyes for the first time in like a it. year. <laughs> I'm not a curmudgeon about these things. I just. Uh, I'm asking an open question. So I, I think it's curious. It would be curious. Do you want me to play the Evan role? Oh, come on. You don't say, man. Okay, there. Okay. <laughs> Evan could go either way. He could be right there with you. And he could be like, yeah, it's Super Bowl, winning the tables. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about uh, one more thing before we go to Patreon questions okay. about uh, interesting thing to come out of not just this last game, but the, the Gino experience. Um, there's been a ton of talk about Russ's use of the intermediate middle. Um, people were killing them for that last year. And that's the reason why they couldn't beat cover two and all this stuff. And in fairness, it's not an area he uses for sure. Um, and Waldron was hopefully going to fix that. It didn't really materialize um and you know for the games that he was playing um and there was a question about does that change with gino smith does gino do something different gino is taller so can he see over his quarterbacks or his linemen better i think gino had more batted passes in like three games and russ has had his entire career but even setting that aside no there was no intermediate middle 
Um, Gino didn't attack that either. And he's Gino Smith. So who knows what that means and whether a different quarterback would play differently, you know, a real starting quarterback. Um, but I think it's interesting that, you know, that was one of the things that when we talked about, you know, what, what, cause Gino came into that Rams game and played well. And we were like, what can Gino do to really like make this awkward for Russell? And that was what I had talked about is like, if he can do some of these things and maybe isn't better overall, but uses the whole field, it just wasn't there. And, and the routes weren't there. Like it just wasn't there. So I thought it was interesting that we got through it and Gino played the same way that Russ played. Well, I mean, I not, as well, not as well, not as well. played like Gino, like he played like a terrible quarterback. The offense looked the structurally, the offense was the same with Gino as it was with Russ. Like he was not trying to do different things. Obviously, the quality gap is massive. I'm not trying to say that. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's go to some patron questions, and uh, okay. while while Nathan gets those up. If you haven't already, give the show a like, thumbs up, just takes a second, uh, click subscribe uh, and the bell to get notified when we go live. And if you want to get your questions asked and answered, patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Quick, easy way to get part of our Slack community where we get questions asked every week. We try to answer them. And we've given away eight tickets to Seahawks games so far this year. Uh, I think people have had a really good time and uh, you never know what might be coming in other giveaways. So uh, please join our at patreon.com slash Nathan, what questions do we have this week? Um, so Sam Brand wants to know, would beating Green Bay on the road change your expectations for the season or division of this team at all? Um, let's extend that to the Cardinals game. Let's just keep on that conversation we were just having where you, you actually got excited to be alive again, Brian. What does that mean if they win these next two games? You're asking me? Yeah. Uh, if the Seahawks win these next two games, then they'll make the playoffs. That's what I think it means. Um, I don't know that it means much more than that. So let's say they win the next two games. They beat the bad teams. They lose uh, another game to the Cardinals, another game to the Rams. They go into the playoffs. Do you feel differently about the rebuild? Are you still in burn it down, get me picks, let's build for the future? Or do you feel different? Yeah, well, that's why I don't think it changes much beyond that. So um, let me be as brief as I can on this. So I've been clear about what I believe needs to happen, which is I think that they need to reset. Um, and that includes you know, front office coaching and quarterback, you know, not because the quarterback's bad, but because he's their only option to get picks and replenish what is, I think, a really weak roster and uh, the wrong age roster of, of where their top talent is. Um, that still will be true. I also have said clearly that what I think will happen is I think they'll all be here next year. Um, and so I still think that would be true, especially if they make the playoffs and um, I think that part of why I wanted to reset is because what I saw very early on in this season is this is a similar type of team that we've seen. Their top end is not Super Bowl. It's just, it's not. Like, they don't have the talent to compete and contend for a championship. And 
based on the way this roster is and the age and, and where they are and all that, those cycles, I think if they're not contending right now for a Super Bowl or clearly taking a step toward it, then they need to be resetting because they're too old to, to, to not do that. Um, and they don't have enough young talent to, to not be doing that. So them making the playoffs, even if they win a game, changes nothing about how I feel other than I'd enjoy it. I would love to watch them do that because it's way more fun. But that, that otherwise, I think that's where they are as a franchise. Okay. Uh, Sam Brown also wants to know um, how many games, Dana, over the rest of the season do you think are truly winnable for the Seahawks? Do you want to run through the schedule with me and predict their – the rest of the way? Sure. Okay. All right. So at Packers. That depends on if Aaron Rodgers is there. I, that really is. If Rodgers is there, then I think they lose that game. Um, if he's not, I think they have a very good chance of winning that game. Okay. I make, I'm going to make you pick. Win or loss? I don't know that Aaron Rodgers is going to be there, so I'm going to say win. Gotcha. Uh, Just because I don't think he'll be there. Cardinals at home? In Seattle? Mm-hmm. Lose. At Washington, when uh, home no against the Niners, Sweat will be out for that game. I'm sorry, what? Montez Sweat will be out for that. They're game. They're very bad, Washington. Mm, yeah, they're a disaster. They're very bad. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. Go on. That's okay. Uh, Cardinals or Forty uh, um, Niners at home. When at the Texans, that's a loss, right? <laughs> no, no. No, because I'll be at that game. World. So I always bring luck, right? No, that's a good Uh At the Rams. Loss. Home against the Bears. Win. Uh, home against the Lions. Oh, win. God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and at Arizona. Win. I think that they play well in Arizona. You have them going, was that 10 and 7 then? Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have the you think, uh, what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven wins. Seven of these mm-hmm. games are winnable. Seven and two. They had they done seven and two. I don't think that that sounds so crazy. When you're looking at their competition, like if you look at who they're playing, I don't think that sounds so crazy. Uh, you know, I I guess there's a chance they lose both those Arizona games, but I don't I don't know that that is the case because divisional games are weird like that. But um, I see them splitting those two. So, yeah, I, and I think they – I'm not worried about the Niners game at all. So, I think – yeah, I don't think that's so crazy. I, uh, I'm a little worried about one of the Washington, Niner, or Chicago games. Um, I think the Texans and Lions are just too bad. But the thing that sucks about it is that going 7-2 and two the rest of the way feels like it should get you – more than 10 wins on the season right yeah that's the, that's the way part. it works right that that's a, the way yeah. it works when you when you bite it so hard at the beginning of the season that there's just it's hard to make up for that does does 10 and 7 get you into the playoffs maybe i mean yeah, it depends on just how the other 100 it does you think really? there's no team in the nfc have you looked at those nfc teams there's no team well no that's fair and i keep i do keep forgetting that they've expanded the playoffs but it's just like but you know i think that that's that's been a tough road for Seattle. I, I, I don't know, but um, I think getting to double digit wins is probably the most important thing for the mindset of this team. I think in my thought is if you get to double digits, you get to at least a playoff game and you know, there's only been one year in 
the Wilson Carroll era, they haven't got double digit wins. So I think that that's going to be a huge goal for them. It would be a huge accomplishment for them yeah. to make the playoffs after their start, no matter what the rest of the NFC looks like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do though. I, I do agree with Brian in the fact though, that I think if they make the playoffs that you're not going to see the changes that some people want. Um, and I was pretty vocal last week where I, I think that it may be time for Pete to go. And I, I think that I, I don't know that I agree. I definitely don't agree with Russell. We, we disagree on that, but um, I think that it is time for Pete to go. If they go seven and two at the end, I don't think you're going to get what people aren't going to get what they want out of that necessarily. I think that you'll have the same again next year, unless Russell put, you know, pushes that a little. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then Braxton has a uh, kind of a out of left field question here. Um, and he makes a, an assumption that I don't know if everyone's going to agree about, but uh, he wants everyone to go around and answer, um, aside from Russell Wilson, who do you think is the best Seahawks player in franchise history? Is there, first, is there anyone that disagrees that Russ is the best in franchise history? Brian, okay. I don't, I don't think it's crazy to disagree. I don't think that Russell can be the, it depends on your criteria. Yeah, I don't think I agree. So, Russ is Wait, not, has, has never been the best player at his own position in yeah, the NFL for any year of his career. Walter Jones was maybe the best player in the NFL during his time and definitely the best player at his position. So, and I think there are people who argue that Largent was the best receiver in that, like in NFL history up until Jerry Rice came around. Maybe they played at the same time though, mostly. Like there was, there's not a huge overlap where Largent was without Rice. I don't know. I think Cortez Kennedy is the other one that you could because he was defensive player of the year, but I felt like Cortez had one year where he was the best player in the NFL defensively and then was not that player ever after 92. Like I thought he was very good, but I think so to me, Walter Jones is the, is the best player. Um, but Jeff, you, what were you going to no, say? No, that was, that was my answer. I think there's a case that Walter Jones is the best left tackle in NFL history. And I don't think you can say that about any other Seahawks. Uh, all right, all valuable. Like, if no, Russell's clearly the most valuable player, yeah, in history, I think Russell's the most valuable, not even close. Yeah, I'll, I'll put my Evan hat on and say it's none of those guys, and it's somebody that's on the team right now, and we just aren't to the end of the road with him yet. DK Metcalf is the greatest. <laughs> oh, that's not, I think it's Jason Myers. Myers. Oh my god, no, I think Evan's finally given up the ghost on that one. Uh, I mean, DK, I don't know. Receiver is so tough with like, with all the, the records at this point. But yeah, Ruben it's probably Walt. was a close second to Walter for me. Uh, the only guy I've seen kick a negative yard punt um, before. Uh, he was a special kind of player. So, Dana, who, who do you take? You have rest number one then. Who, who do you take number two? No, I, I guess I was misunderstanding because I, I was thinking most valuable in my head. No, I agree with Walter Jones. Um, I do think there's a case for Largent. I, I, I get that. So you're saying the best player in the entire history. The only time I have, I have a problem with that because just like I do the term GOAT, G-O-A-T, greatest of all time, it's impossible. It's got to be G-O-T, greatest of the era, because the games are so different and you can't. So I have a hard time with those kind of questions, but um so I, I would pick probably Walter Jones over Russell, but Russell's definitely much more valuable. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so 
Braxton, you're wrong. It's not Russell at all. It's Walter Jones. I think we across <laughs> the board disagree with you. Um, uh, and then one last one here. Will wants to know Super Bowl matchups. Does anyone have a Super Bowl matchup that they feel strongly about? A shot they want to call? Um, Dana? I, I Well, I'm sticking with the one I had at the beginning of the year. Um, and that we did, I did on our, the Our Turf podcast. I have the Bills. Um, I think I picked the Bills and the Bucks, and I have the Bills winning the Super Bowl this year. I think the AFC is fascinating this year, though. And, and I know that our listeners probably don't give two craps about the AFC, but it, it was such a, it was so clear cut at the beginning of the season. And now it's so wide open that I think that it's a really fascinating thing to kind of watch with the you know chiefs doing what they're doing and you know now the titans without henry and all this fun stuff but i st- i still think the bills i think the bills are in the super bowl this year uh i like the bills i don't think i don't i don't know that's the hard one to pick for me is the afc i have no idea what to do with the afc what's the easy pick in the nfc then there is none. There's four or five. Mm-hmm. I think you can yeah, make a least, case. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I think you can make a case for what's interesting about the playoffs this year is what you guys said. The AFC is just completely topsy turvy. It's weird every week. I think the team that's been in first place the last three weeks have lost the next game. So they have the NFC. It's clear who the top teams are. I think it's, what's interesting about the playoffs last year is you knew it was either the Packers or the only team who could beat them was the Bucks, and that's who made the NFC this year. I think it's those two teams, but the Rams are obviously loaded up. And Dallas is really good. Dak, Dak, and I, I underestimate Dak. He's really, like, he's as good as a lot of the analytical numbers people were suggesting. I think he's even better than what a lot of people were suggesting. So I, I'm a believer in Dallas. I think they could, I think they could go deep. I think one of the teams, and we didn't mention this is the other news. There's been so much news coming out. I think the Titans um, would have had a shot. Um it had Derrick Henry not be lost, been lost for the season. And they beat the Bills. I think they legitimately beat the Bills. Uh, Bills. Well, Josh Allen slipped. Yeah, yeah, sure. But but still, I mean, that was a legitimate win. It wasn't yeah. like a – It was a great game. It was a really good game. And, of course, Derrick Henry goes out the week that they play the Rams. Of course. Um, but anyway, that, that team ended up being – they were not playing that well when we played them, but they've – They've really turned it on. All right. Uh, that's it for Patreon questions. Okay. Um, so go into this weekend without a Seahawks game on the on the docket. Is there any game you guys are going to be watching closely this weekend? You guys don't even know who's playing, do you? No, I'm, I have I'm no idea. Well, I, the, the <laughs> NFC, the NFC games, I are the NFC West games. I always pay very close attention to. I think yeah. that those games, but they're just. I mean, the 49ers play the Cardinals this weekend, so that'll be interesting to see what happens there. But yeah, yeah, I was kind of curious. I, I watched the beginning of that Bears 49ers game, and man, it looked like Justin Fields was going to stick it to him, and then. Um, Ah, it sucks that the 49ers came back and won that game. But uh yeah, I don't know. Oh my god, the Dolphins play the Texans this week. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Be the worst game For me, though, there really isn't. I think that's sums up how I feel about the Seahawks. If the Seahawks were five and three, and 
I was really angling for a playoff spot or I really thought that they were going to have to worry about the Rams. I'd be focusing on those games, but I really just don't feel that for the Seahawks until they get to that point. I don't really worry about what other teams are doing. Like a lot of people were very upset when the Rams got Vaughn Miller. And this was last year when the Seahawks and Rams were fighting for that division and a trade like that to push them over the edge. I would have been furious. I barely even blinked. Like I, I think that sums up where I'm at as a Seahawks fan right now. I just don't think much of their chances. So I'm not too worried about the rest of the NFC. So honestly, there isn't a game that kind of piques my interest. I think that's well said before we go. um, I did want to ask you guys one question uh, on that front. If the news had broke actually that the Seahawks had traded for Von Miller and they traded their second and third round pick next year, and then they wouldn't have a pick until the fourth round or whatever. How would you have felt? So mad. Yeah. I'd be really, really mad. <laughs> and I'm mad that the Rams it... did it, but yeah. Yeah, I don't think I would have been happy about it either, just because it, this team isn't missing just a Von Miller to win a Super Bowl. You know, maybe the Rams are just missing a Von Miller to win the Super Bowl, but Seattle's not there. So it would have been illogical, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think it would have been downright reckless. Um, the Seahawks are already missing their first round pick this year. I think what the Rams paid was pretty wild considering he's a free agent after the year. Frankly, hasn't played that well. I think I get it why the Rams did it. He's injured. He, he did. He like guaranteed a bunch of sacks a couple of weeks ago against Case Keenum. It didn't even get near the quarterback. Um, I think it's a great trade for the Rams for where they're at, but for the Seahawks are at where we talk about the, the influx of talent they need, the, the failed draft picks, to do that trade for a rental player to slide into it, that would have been downright reckless. I, I think that would have been a fireable offense, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're all in the same place there. All right. Well, uh, Seahawks go into the bye week off of a win, uh, hopefully getting healthy, maybe getting our franchise quarterback back on the field, maybe getting our top pick on the field finally, maybe getting our starting running back back on the field. Uh, yeah, and we didn't really talk about Trey Brown much, but but you know another ascending player, hopefully continuing his ascent, and so some things to look forward to, regardless of where the season's going to go. And Evan will be at that Packers game, so everybody should be hoping that the Seahawks destroy the Packers in that game, and that Aaron Rodgers doesn't play, or that he does, and the Seahawks still win because it could get really, there could be a lot of content. Let's just say that, uh, depending on how that goes. All right. Uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. Please give the show a quick thumbs up. Doesn't take more than a second. Click subscribe, click the bell to get notified when we go live and go over to patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Get immediate access to our Slack channel where we've got hundreds of folks in our community. It's a really good crew, really good conversations, even when we're not here. You got to celebrate, commiserate, whatever the the situation calls for. You're going to have folks over there and you get some Patreon questions that we will answer on the show. So until next time, take care, everybody.